Hello and welcome to Evangel Church Online, a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus, receive his love, and look more and more like him each day. Today we're going to be talking about communion. What is it? diving into communion today. This tradition that we have together here at Evangel on the first Sunday of the month, but it doesn't have to be restricted to that. Why do we do this and what does it really mean? And how does it play into the church, this collective? Well, traditions are wonderful. I bet that if you think through the fabric of your year, you will be able to point out some traditions that you have built in Maybe it's a specific meal around a specific day or holiday. Maybe it's opening presents in bed on your birthday or an activity that happens on the same day every year. Most of the time we understand where traditions come from. The story of them has been passed down to us and then sometimes we have things that we eat just because we always have. No one really knows how that tradition started. But whether your tradition is 90 years old or nine years old, psychologists agree that there is a great weight when it comes to our um, psyche in traditions. Those routines that we hold as individuals and as families contribute to our sense of identity and belonging within a family, as well as contributing comfort and security it's no accident that the creator of everything who knows best how humanity thrives, how we think, how we operate, would begin this new covenant, this new relationship of how God is going to interact with humanity by instituting a tradition, a way of consistently putting in place this moment of remembrance that contributes to our identity our sense of belonging, and carries with it security and comfort. We are going to use this word communion today, but you might come from a faith background where you've used other words. Maybe you've grown up using sacraments in place of communion. And that just comes from the Latin word for oath, sacramentum. And it was just this understanding that whenever a covenant was made or a promise was made, an oath went along with it and sealed it. And so it's language that speaks to Jesus's statement that this is a new covenant. And as such, it needs to be sealed with a sacramentum, with the sacraments. And we're going to dig into that in a moment. Or perhaps you've used the term Eucharist, which comes from the Greek word Eucharistic, and that just means Thanksgiving. And of course, our natural posture when we come to this moment of remembering all that Jesus did for us on the cross is one of Thanksgiving and immense gratitude. And so that makes sense too, that we would use this term Eucharist to embody just our attitude as we come to this table. We also see it called the Lord's Supper in different places or breaking bread. And all of these words are great. They can be used um, synonymously 
and they just really convey different parts of the whole. Whatever word you use, keep going. But for simplicity's sake, and because this is the word we typically use here at Evangel, I will be using communion, which we pull from the Greek word koinonia in 1 Corinthians 10.6. And it really just talks about participation in community. It conveys both the active nature of this communion table, as well as the fact that we do it in community with one another. And so this tradition that we hold of communion isn't one that is passive. It's an active tradition. It's one that links past, present, and future for us together in one moment. It's a tradition that unifies the people of God around the main things. That Jesus Christ, God himself, came as a human. That he died and that he rose again. And it doesn't end there, that he's returning for us once more. It's a tradition that contributes to our identity. It creates belonging and carries with it security and comfort. And so let's pray and then let's dive into communion, past, present, and future. So God, thank you for this moment. Jesus, I thank you that right before you were arrested, and went to the cross that you instituted this to reveal yourself, to reveal that the one we had been waiting for, the promised one, our redeemer and deliverer had come, that it's you. And I thank you that you've invited us into this tradition over generations because it unites us as one family. It gives us belonging and carries with it security and comfort knowing of your deep love for us. And so as we dive a little bit deeper, would you reveal to us afresh and anew how much you love us, that the cross really did cover it all, and that we have a hope of eternity with you. So Holy Spirit, would you speak today? Would you allow my own words just to <laughs> die in my mind? But would the words that you have put forth for this moment be spoken in your precious name. Amen. Well, let's dig into Luke chapter 22 verses 14 to 23. If you have a Bible, why don't you pull it out and flip there with me. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to get you one. If you head over to myevangel.church forward slash Bible, you can get some links to some digital Bibles there as well as a form to fill out if you're in the Powell River area for a paper Bible. But let me set this scene for you for a moment. So Jesus has entered Jerusalem and he knows that he is entering to his death. And he's kind of spoken that out over different places leading up to this. But the disciples have followed him as this is a time of celebration in Jerusalem. This is the Passover. It's a remembrance or a tradition, if you will, of the salvation of God to rescue and redeem the Israelite people from slavery in Egypt. And it's just ex expected that every Jewish male is going to make their way to Jerusalem to participate in this festival. And so while Jesus has been setting the scene for his disciples, they're still not quite catching on. And this isn't really raising that many alarm bells because this isn't an odd place for a Jewish male to go. This isn't odd for Jesus to make his way to Jerusalem. 
but we see through hindsight that Jesus is revealing himself through the history of God's people, through the Israelites. Now, there is some speculation around this moment in Luke 22, whether the meal that Jesus is having with the disciples is truly the Passover meal or Seder, or if it's just a meal that was happening um, during this Passover time in Jerusalem. But let's go with the majority of scholars and look at this passage in Luke from the v- the view of this meal actually being the Passover meal or Seder. So Luke 22 verses 14 to 23. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them could it be who was going to do this? Jesus is setting the scene and declaring himself to be God through this meal. Now, if we judge the order of the meal based on the clues here in Luke, as well as those in the other synoptic gospels, so Matthew and Mark, it's most plausible that the bread that Jesus broke was um, the piece of matzah that had been hidden away during this meal. They would break the middle piece of three different pieces of matzah and hide the larger of that piece away and then bring it out at the very end of the eating. So this is the final thing that they eat to symbolically represent um, the Passover lamb, which is the one that is sacrificed each Passover as a reminder of the lambs that would be sacrificed to paint the blood on the door frame that saved the Israelite firstborns from the angel of death as it passed over Egypt. So Jesus takes this piece of bread representing the Passover lamb and he connects the past and the present. He takes the bread and when he had given thanks, he breaks it and gives it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I know why we remember this moment, but friends, you need to remember and understand that I am the lamb. I am the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world as John the Baptist called him in John 1 29. Jesus is revealing that unlike the lamb who appeased the justice of God for a moment, he was offering the sacrifice willingly. That Jesus was stepping in between the judgment seat of God Almighty and broken humanity, willing to be broken in our place so that we would be saved from certain death. In taking this bread and breaking it, he's revealing, I am the hidden one now revealed for you. I am the hidden one who will atone for the sins of the world as the Passover lamb does 
in this festival. Jesus is revealing himself in this moment. The one who pro provides atonement, the one sacrificed to bring the forgiveness of sins. And this is something that everyone in that room would have understood from the festival occurring. That the sacrifice of this Passover lamb would once again wipe the slate clean and allow them to stand in the presence of God without fear. But in this moment, Jesus turns the tables and he reveals himself. That he is the perfection of the law. He's declaring a permanent solution for humanity to be able to have a relationship with God. And so following this last moment of eating during the Seder moment, or meal, the third glass of wine is poured. And there are four glasses of wine during this meal. and Each one represents something different. There's one that follows directly that last piece of matzah. And it is a glass of wine that symbolically represents the promise God made to redeem his people. And so Jesus pours another glass of wine. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Once again, Jesus is linking the past to the present. I am the fulfillment of this promise. This promise to redeem you. This is a new covenant between God and man. One that is no longer constrained by sacrifices and rituals. One that is permanent through my blood, freely given. This is the fulfillment of all that you have hoped for. Through me, you are redeemed. Not just from the slavery to an earthly pharaoh, the slavery to an earthly governor, but freed from the shackles of sin and death. This cup that you have held onto with such hope is now fulfilled in me and the sacrifice I'm about to make. Melvin Tinker writes of this passage, Jesus saw himself as fulfilling several strands of Old Testament types simultaneously. Jesus throughout his entire ministry continuously revealed that he was the one that the Israelites had been waiting for. That he was the one who came to perfect and fulfill the law. That all of these things that they had hoped for, that they had waited for, were found in him. Jesus links the past deeds of God to himself. He declares himself not only to be the fulfillment of every promise given in the Old Testament, but also the giver of each promise. In this moment, he declares himself not only our atoning sacrifice, but he's revealing himself to be God. And when we come to this table, it's a moment of remembrance for us too. One of looking back at the great love that God holds for us. Of the lengths that Jesus went through to reveal himself as God. To redeem us. To atone for our sins so that we would be able to find forgiveness in him. So that we would be able to have a relationship with God. This moment in tradition reminds us that we've been bought with a price and that in Jesus we're made new, that we are chosen and adopted, that we're made co-heirs with Christ, that our salvation is sealed and there's nothing that could separate us from the love of God. 
This routine, this tradition contributes to our identity and our sense of belonging. And it carries security and comfort because it sets our eyes back on what Jesus has done for each of us. It sets our eyes back on the lengths that God went through so that we would be able to have this relationship with him. It sets our eyes back on what it meant for us to be wiped clean and forgiven. It sets our eyes back. And looking back changes how we behave in the present. I have an unspoken tradition that I do each Christmas. Over the years, our kids are teenagers now, but every trip we've taken with them, we've hung on to all of the little mementos and they fill stacks of boxes in our bedroom closet. And each Christmas, all of those boxes come out to the kitchen table and so do all of our photo albums. And I love to reminisce on all of the sweet memories made, to look back at how little kids were and remember the delight of different moments. But here's the thing about tradition. While it's really fun to look back, it also feeds my desire for the present. It sharpens my resolve to make those types of memories for the year that's coming. It encourages me to keep learning about my family, to be a student of who my kids are becoming, who my husband is now as he's growing and maturing. It changes my priorities. It sharpens the decisions that we make as a family around our finances and our time and our energy. The tradition isn't nostalgia for nostalgia's sake. The nostalgia defines the things that we value as a family today for this season. And coming to this table, while it's so good and healthy to look back and remember, and we're actually asked to do so, do this in remembrance of me, we don't look back just for history's sake. We don't look back just for nostalgia's sake, for those warm fuzzies of remembering all that God has done for us. No, when we look back, it defines our values and our priorities for how we live today in the present. Looking back at the cross defines what we value today. It defines how we live today. It changes our priorities. It sharpens our decision. It, it shapes our obedience. Looking back at the cross changes our present. When we look at 1 Corinthians 11, and this is a passage that we usually read during communion, we see that there's kind of been some, some wrong attitudes and practices around communion. And there's this rebuke to change the way that the church is operating in the present in light of the past, in light of the cross. Where there was disunity, there's this challenge to put aside differences and live in unity under Jesus. Where there was a showboating of wealth, there's this challenge to care for one another. Where there was this wrong attitude around this tradition, there's this challenge to come humbly and examine ourselves, to look um, at what is wrong at those places where we have veered off course on our faith journey. 
and ask the Holy Spirit to set our feet back on the right path. Communion, this very act of remembering what Jesus did on the cross should change our present because we need to pause and understand this is not a passive thing we do. We don't just participate in this passively, allowing the words of the pastor or the songs that we sing to just lull us into a feel-good moment. When we come to the communion table, it's active. It's participating in the remembering, the sanctification, and the hope of the gospel. The very nature of communion is to look back and in light of that, to hold our lives up against the standard of Jesus. Not in shame, but in recognition that the deep love God has for us and the thanksgiving for what he's done bursts in us a desire to glorify him with our lives. Again, in that passage in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight, and I talked about this a moment ago, but I want to read this for you. Paul writes this, that is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. I'm just going to jump over to verse 31. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Communion demands a moment that when in recognition of the cross, we come before God humbly, asking him to bring things to light, asking him to bring those moments that have come out of alignment back into alignment, to bring truth to the lies we believe, to remove the sin that has crept in. And that's all that sanctification really is. Communion demands us not just to look back, but right here in the present to walk out our right standing with God. Right here in the present to ask God to discipline us because he does so, so gently and lovingly, removing those things that will actually harm us in the end. Communion demands that we not just look back, but in this moment, that we surrender all, asking God to bring us back into right standing with him, to search us and know us, to forgive all of those errors within us, and to bring us back into right standing with him. And finally, communion sets our eyes firmly on the future. It reminds us that the cross wasn't just to save us now, though Jesus did, but the cross secures our hope of eternity with Jesus. The cross didn't just break the bondage of sin now, though it did, but the cross broke the bondages of death and grave for an eternity. Jesus didn't just die and rise again to be victorious over our life right now. He is victorious forevermore. Amen. This tradition reminds us that this is not our home, that we are but a vapor passing through here today, gone tomorrow. But we can take heart because we were never promised a tomorrow here. Instead, we have been promised 
a life everlasting in perfect relationship with God through Jesus. This tradition reminds us to lift our head in those places where we feel like we are defeated, in those places where it just feels like God has forgotten us, in those places where it feels like our prayers are bouncing against the ceiling and God just will never come through. It reminds us to lift our heads because victory is coming. Whether we see it here in this day to day, it doesn't matter because victory is won. Death is defeated. The grave does not win because Jesus is triumphant over it. In 1 Corinthians 11, 26, we're told for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes. Every time we come to this table, we are participants in a tradition that links our past, our present, and our future. Every time we come to this table, regardless of what we're facing in this moment, we are reminding our spirits that the end is finished. Every time we come to this table, we declare that God is with us and he's returning for us. We remind ourselves over and over again that he has not forgotten us, that he has never left us or abandoned us, that he hears us and he sees us and he cares because we can look back and see it. And that speaks to the hope that we have to believe it. In Ephesians 5 verses 15 to 16, we're challenged to look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil, because the days are short, because there are those who need to know the hope that we hold. We come to this table, we come face to face with the gospel once again, that God so loved the world so much that Jesus came so that none would perish, but all would find life in him. This tradition reminds us of who we are. Your identity in Jesus is that you are made new. The old ways have passed away. You aren't a slave to anything that once controlled you. You have been made new, set apart, spotless before the God who redeemed you through his blood. You have been bought at a price. That cross cost everything. That is the great love that God has for you, that even while you were lost in your sin far from him, he made a way before you even knew of him for you to have a relationship with him, to find the freedom and forgiveness from all the things that separate us from God. And that in accepting that freedom, you can stand convinced that you have been adopted into the family of God. Your identity is secure. It is held in Jesus and in him we find perfect belonging. God is unchangeable and so we can trust his love is secure, his grace is infinite, and his forgiveness is unending.
He welcomes us back over and over and over again when we foolishly demand our own way and veer off course in our sin. Who he is gives us security and comfort no matter what we face. The end is written, the victory is won, and this is not our home. We know that through Jesus, we have a God who understands and helps us in our times of weakness. We have a God who intercedes for us, who never leaves us, who hears our prayers and catches our tears, brings peace to the morning and comfort to the broken. And this tradition reminds us of who we are because it reminds us of whose we are. It reminds us of all God has done, is doing, and will do. And so we're gonna take communion together. And this is a time to remember, to come into realignment and a time to hope. And so if you don't have the communion elements with you, why don't you just pause this video and go and grab those. You just need something to eat and something to drink, whether that is coffee and a cookie or like me, if you have a cracker and some grape juice. But at Evangel, we believe that this communion table is open to all who give their lives to Jesus. And if you've accepted the forgiveness of Jesus through the cross and you have chosen him to be the leader or Lord of your life, then this is something that we get to do in community together. And it's so beautiful that God asks us to do this together because we shape one another, we sharpen one another, we stand with one another in this tradition. In looking back and walking out our faith in the present and in lifting each other's head with the hope of the future. But I also want to give you an opportunity if you've been joining us and you're just exploring faith, I'm so glad that you're here. And you can continue to explore faith as long as you want. If you have questions, we'd love to answer them. But there does come a point where you have to make a decision. You have to decide what you believe right now. And if you're feeling that tug on your spirit, I believe that is God pursuing you. And I know because you're here that he's been pursuing you long before this moment. That he's been running after you, convincing you with his love. And so if you feel that tug on your spirit, would you pray with me? There's nothing magical about these words. It's just a choice to accept what Jesus did on the cross for us and making the choice to allow him to be the one in charge of your life going forward. And, and that's a day-to-day -day process. You don't have to have it perfect right now because I certainly don't. But it's choosing him. It's choosing the way we were created, his best for us, his forgiveness for our brokenness, his life for that which in us, our sin nature, means certain death. And so this morning, if you wanna choose Jesus for you, I'm just gonna pray a prayer. Again, there's nothing magical about it. It's just declaring with our words what we feel in our heart. And if you want a relationship with Jesus, would you just pray it with me? Jesus, I admit that I need you. 
I recognize that there are things in my life that I can't fix. Things that keep me from you. I believe that you are God. That you died and rose again. I believe that the cross covered all my sin. I accept your forgiveness and choose you as Lord. Would you be the one in charge of my life? I choose you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, can I ask you to do something that's maybe a little bit uh, brave or maybe take some bravery? Would you reach out and let us know so that we can walk out this journey of faith with you? As I said, none of us are perfect, <laughs> but there's a reason we're called to do this communion tradition together because we shape and sharpen each other. We stand with each other. We remind each other of the truth that we hold. And I would hate for you to do your faith journey alone. There are so many of us who would be so delighted to walk with you. Well, we're gonna go into this time of communion. And so we're gonna go through that 1 Corinthians 11 passage once again. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. And he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread together. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Let's drink the juice together. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. So God, I thank you that in this one act, you combined past, present, and future. That when we look back at the cross, we can stand so confident in your love for us. We can stand confident in who we are as those adopted into your family, the beloved of God. And that changes how we live today. And so Holy Spirit, would you search us and know us? Would you reveal to us the places where we've gotten off track and steer us back so we would look more and more like Jesus each day? And would you instill in us the hope of eternity? Would you remind us that this is not our own and these troubles that we face, they're momentary, but you are eternal. So would you help us not to get so fixated on the things that won't last that we forget the things that do? Would you help us to live as those who are wise, making the most of our days? Because you are coming back. Would you help us to glorify you with our life? Because we are so grateful for all that you've done in your precious name. Amen.
Well, thank you so much for being here with us. I am so glad that you spent a bit of time with me. If you have been enjoying our church online, we wanna invite you into a moment of generosity. Here at Evangel, everything that we do comes directly from the donations of our church family and guests. And so if you head over to myevangel.church forward slash give, you can find all of the ways to be able to give and partner with what we're doing here at Evangel. Well, I hope you have a great week. May you go and walk out this faith that you hold, making the most of every moment as those who are wise. God bless. Thank you.